right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. Solly here. Got a nice little recap of the Masters with Justin Ray from the 15th Club. Uh, You know him from Twitter, probably. He is the stats guru. We talk just some golf in general, stats in general, and we kind of get in and break down Hideki's run, Will Zalatoris, of course, Spieth, Shoffley, how it all came together, some of his favorite master stats, you know, from history and all kinds of good nuggets in there. No Laying Up is brought to you by our friends at Precision Pro Golf. You're going to use a rangefinder a lot in a round of golf. You never want to be the guy that is asking his buddy who has the rangefinder, hey, can you gun this for me? I have been that guy before. I have resisted it. I've said, hey, they're too expensive. I don't need one of these things. I can walk it off. Well, get this. Precision Pro rangefinders are not expensive, and you can get $21 off at checkout when you use coupon code MASTERS21, precisionprogolf.com. You can get our favorite rangefinder, the NX9 Slope, for $21 off with coupon code MASTERS21. They offer free shipping. There's a 90-day money-back guarantee, a two-year warranty, and it's the only rangefinder that comes with lifetime battery replacements. It's got all the bells and whistles, slope-adjusted distances. It's got pulse vibration, a built-in magnet. You can slap it right on your cart. Just tons of features. Again, precisionprogolf.com, NX9 Slope, Masters 21 at checkout for $21 off our favorite rangefinder. Swing with confidence, hit more greens with Precision Pro Golf. Here's Justin Ray. All right, this is a great question we got from H Drake 97 What is your typical researching day like? Do you think of semi-random cool stats to find, or do you happen across them? Do you have a favorite stat? That's a lot of questions in there, but what's a, what's a researching day look like? That's, that is a good question. I think they're all a little bit different. I worked in TV directly for more than a decade at ESPN and then at Golf Channel, so you know, I'm kind of wired to think of everything still in the television show production mode, whether that's, you know, just basically consuming everything I can golf content wise, and then thinking about it in kind of a, I don't know, the way I try to piece statistical stats and analysis and stuff together in my head. And it all kind of happens naturally. I kind of talk about my schedule. It's a little bit like a musician schedule where it just kind of had, there's no real rigid you know, time set for me. I just kind of like, I'll work late into the night when I have an idea or, you know, something like that. But, um, I'm kind of meandering all over the place right off the bat, but that's probably reflective of kind of my whole process is that it's not super organized. You're like a rock star. That's what it's if you're, yeah, that's what exactly what I I am. That would be, I would be the lamest (laughs) rock star in the history of music. If that's, you know, if if it's, uh, if that's the analogy we're going to make, but you know, it's an interesting, it's a tough thing for me to articulate. You know, it's, it just happens. Yeah, it's a way to think about what you're watching. Like when they talk about on the broadcast, like it's been a long time since Hideki Matsuyama's won. The first thing I pop up and think about is, wow, it has been. It's been more than 1,300 days. All right, who's the last guy to win the Masters having not won around the world in 1,300 or more days? And then I start digging and I get the answer. So usually it's like there's a seed of an idea and it grows into something and then you take it another step and another step. And then eventually you get that end product, which is hopefully something really cool. It seems just very digestible. Everything you you do, you know, it sends probably a meandering route to how you get to it, but it all seems to come in a very digestible, uh, you know, nugget, whatever it is. And I'm I'm wondering. You said you used to work in TV. Do you still work in TV? Because I read Twitter, I see your stats, and then a couple seconds later, I usually hear it on the broadcast. That's funny. I I do technically still work in television. Um, I, I'm not employed by a television network anymore, but um, 15th Club works directly with Sky Sports. Um, so for 20 weeks a year, um, we are essentially the research department for Sky Sports play-by-play. Um, and I'll have a Slack chat open throughout the entire tournament and be talking to the analysts and if they've got questions and I come up with my own stuff and send it along. So um, the Slack channel is basically my Twitter feed on steroids. So it's there's a lot more info and stuff in there that I, I pass on to them. Um, I come up with graphics and stuff like that. So yeah, no, I still technically am, though not directly employed by a TV network. I do get to work in TV all the time. And it's, I love working in live television, the energy of it, the, it's almost like a team sport. It's like the closest thing I can find in adult life to being part of a team working together 
and you know working towards a common goal. Um, it's it sounds kind of corny, I guess, but it's it's something that I really enjoy the aspect of it. So that makes um, sense. And, and you making me feel engaged. worse about about texting you during <laughs> during broadcasts, like knowing how much no. stuff you got going on. But I also know you have it handy. <laughs> Yeah, no, and it's never a bother when I hear from you. I always love hearing from you, man. <laughs> well, I, it, I, if my family texts me during the Masters, like they do not get a response for like two days. But so then I'm like, <laughs> this is probably the craziest time for him, and here I am texting him. But what, what can you tell us about what you do with the 15 Club? There's, you know, going through the website. There's some great player quotes on the website. Yet I'm sure you don't want to give away everything you do. But I'm, I'm mostly looking for kind of specific examples on. Maybe things you've helped some big name pros with, or uh, you know, kind of, uh, kind of what you see in that process. Yeah, we so we do work with some players. Um, it's probably that's probably the shiniest thing that we do, um, but it's not the bulk of what our business is. We work with like, uh, like I mentioned, the Sky Sports thing we do. Uh, we work with certain manufacturers to help them with statistics and uh, marketing materials, and you know, help them tell the stories of their players. Um, we work with different governing bodies, whether that's big, I'm trying to explain without giving away the client specifically, <laughs> but, uh, whether that's a big championship, uh, managing organization hmm. or, or a large governing body that, um, ranks players in a way we work with that as well. Oh. Um, no, we, we have our hands on a lot of things. It's really, it's really cool, man. And the, you know, one of the things I love about 15th club is that, we're able to do some, we're so, I, I, the word I use is agile. We're able to do a lot of different things in the sport and I'm able to kind of scratch a lot of these itches I had for a long time in golf um, and not just be, you know, TV super fulfilling and I, and I love working at it, but there was other parts of it that I wanted to get involved with too, whether that's helping out players in terms of um, course strategy, which is something we do directly um, or, you know, coming up with a way to get strokes gained on the U.S. Open website. Know, things like that, like where we're able to take them to, yeah, well, you know, if, if you've seen that the last few years, it's one of the things we're proud of. And um, we work on in a lot of different ways and, and hopefully it's just the beginning. It's, it's a really exciting time to be part of this team and, uh, you know, kind of the different avenues we get to go in um, with this business. Well, you know, I love talking strokes gain. We got a lot of questions about it and I got a lot to ask you about it, but grandpa Jones, 87 wants to know why is, why is shots gained such a important stat? And if I can add on to that question would be, do you get really frustrated when you hear and see antiquated stats being used? Um, so frustrated is not the right term. I do think that there's a place for traditional statistics to still exist. Um, they still talk about a three-hit game in Major League Baseball. Somebody wraps out two singles and a double, you know, or um, runs batted in, even though it's not a perfect thing in baseball. Uh, to explain a hitter's performance, it can still have a place. Like if a guy has seven RBI in a game, like that's still an incredible accomplishment. So when somebody hits, you know, 13 straight greens in regulation or has seven straight one putts or whatever it might be, I think that could still has, it still has value. There's still a storytelling element there. But in terms of being able to tell the most complete story we've ever had statistically in golf, nothing really compares to strokes gain. It's ability to, you know, if to answer was it Grandpa Jones was the question? Uh, Grandpa, to answer your question, it's a, it's a way to compare specific player performance against their peers any given day. A great example that'll come of it is this week's host, uh, Harbor T with the really small greens. You might see guys with, you know, a 24 putts and a round at Harbortown is not the same as 24 putts and a round at St. Andrews. It's just not because the greens are smaller and inherently if you miss a green and you've got to go up and down, you know, that's a one putt, but it doesn't mean you putted great on that hole. You probably hit a great chip to get to that point. Um, where strokes gain comes in is that it's able to evaluate how much every putt in your round is worth, make, miss, bad, good, whatever it might be, and give you an evaluation of that performance in numerical form, and you're able to compare that against your peers. So it's just the best storytelling device we've ever had in golf. Is it perfect? Uh, no, and it'll grow over time and get better, but it's the best thing we've had so far. And it's been a really welcome thing to go from when I was at ESPN, like a decade or so ago, and the PGA tour was talking about rolling this out. I remember having a little mini seminar with the research department and trying to explain this. And it was like, I had three heads and, you know, I felt like we were so far away and now we're at the point where it's pretty ubiquitous, um, everywhere within the sport. So, um, it, it's come a long way in a relatively short period of time. 
That is an incredible answer to that. Because I do think, you know, whatever Matt Wolf shot, or was it Bryson or Matt Wolf that I forget that shot 65 at the U.S. Open hitting two fairways, like, that's still pretty interesting. Like, it doesn't tell the full story of actually driving it really well, but, like, you know, not all fairways missed are created equal, and not all fairways hit are created equal. And that's why I think bridging the gap between the two is is really important. And for those that aren't familiar with how strokes gain has worked, well, we've done a podcast with Mark Broder. You've been on the podcast before and, and, and probably broke this down for us. Um, if I if I was to simply say it, basically it's, you know, if you're 150 yards from the hole, the average amount of shots it would take you to get in from that, um, the difference in what you how you score from then on versus, uh, I, you know what? I can't even do it. I, I It makes sense it's in my tough, head. It's tough, right? I know. It's actually really hard to describe. How do you, how would you so describe I'll, it? I'll, I'll take it from there. So let's say you're, uh, let's say Rory McIlroy is in the fairway 150 yards from the green on the 11th hole, whatever, at uh, Augusta National, 12th hole, whatever it might be. All right, you're 150 yards away. The tour, you're expected to take 2.1 strokes, right, to get from, the point Rory McIlroy is to in the hole. If Rory gets there in two strokes, he gains a tenth of a stroke on the field. That's the way I would kind of try to articulate it in a way. And look, anytime you're dealing with like decimal points and numbers and, and it can get kind of, you know, acidic in your head and it doesn't really make a lot, you know, it, it, it seems like it's too much. But over the course of 18 holes, you're able to stack up, okay, point one there, minus point two there. Oh, he gained 0.5 on this shot. And at the end of the day, you're able to say he ranks second in the field in strokes gained approach. That's the number you want to get to is being able to contextualize with it against the rest of the field. Because, I mean, even I can't find great value in 0.265 or whatever you might end up with at the end of a round. But if you're able to put that into context and say he was fifth or he had his worst strokes gained putting round of the week or of his career or whatever it might be, then you're able to give you know some of those decimal points a little bit more meaning. And that's something that as, you know, as I've gotten to play some golf with, I play with many tour guys all the time and I, it took like playing with them to really learn how 0 0.2, 0.2, 0.2, 0.2, 0 0.2, adds up to a stroke, right? It's not, it's it, these little nuance, you know, it used to be like if I, I miss the fairway, miss the green and uh, get up and down for par, I'd be like, oh, that's the same as hitting the green and hitting the fairway. Like I'm good, but in reality, four was my best case scenario in that, you know, order of events where if I hit the fairway, hit the green, three is my best case scenario. And you can't live, you know, if you, you can't live on the edge of variance for eternity and expect to shoot 68s and 67s. So that's kind of, it's well said, you know, it, it's, I used to miss the fairway, miss the green, chip up to eight feet and miss the putt and just say, I'm the worst putter alive. I can't make anything. I make so many bogeys because I just can't make my par putts when dude, I shouldn't have been eight feet away putting for par. And it just, you, know, you end up blaming the putter when, uh, when other things actually were, were, you know, I guess taking a, a different angle there, what have we learned about golf in that regard as to what is really important? What do you, where do you see correlation between the greatest success? You touched on strokes gain approach there and how that correlates to the masters. That might be the answer, but what do you, what do you think is a major lesson learned with this kind of strokes gained era? Well, I think the biggest thing, and uh, this won't, probably won't be popular with some folks, is that hitting it as far as you possibly can has an immense value. And hitting it short into the fairway is not as valuable as hitting it really far and being off the fairway into the rough. And that's exactly, that's a personification of what you've seen with like Bryce DeChambeau, right? Or um, any of the players who are longer hitters now and are able to gain strokes on the field when they don't hit it into the fairway. So um, that's probably the number one thing to where, you know, for years and years, you're taught, you know, hit it into the short part of the grass where it's easier to, you know, get hit your second shot. When in reality, there's more value in, you know, bombing the shit out of it and being 100 yards away than if you're a professional than if you're 150 yards away and in the middle of the fairway. So that's the biggest thing. And I think the other thing that I think if you're a casual fan and you're just watching professional golf, you might get the attitude of um, if you follow a certain player every shot you think like you might think Roy McIlroy can't putt right because you've you're watching every shot he hits and he all the opportunities he gives himself you know between let's say eight and 15 feet and oh man nothing's gone down all day for Rory oh yeah well in reality like a player makes two and a half of those putts around like it's it's a real tangible you know kind of outcome whereas your perception might be if you see every shot hit by a certain professional player that 
they can't putt or they're having a bad day putting, when in reality, that's kind of what you see for everybody. You just aren't necessarily in the traditional consumption of golf on TV. You don't see every shot hit by every player. So I think that might be a little bit more revelatory um, if somebody digs into like the putts made by distance numbers. Yeah, and it's something that, as much as I think I understand it, I still don't fully understand how you know, how the driving really works or how some of the approach stuff works, right? So if I hit one 300 yards and I am two feet into the rough and I have 140 in, and then on the same hole, I'll, let's just say there's a weird angle, I hit one 50 feet into the rough, but I also have 140 in. Is my strokes gain going to spit out the same number or how does it how does it factor for shots that go really far offline or go behind a tree or just like or go somewhere that's dead? Like how does How does that work? So that's actually one of the the brilliant points about it is that, you know, there, yes, there's a difference between being two feet offline and being in the rough and being 60 feet offline and behind a tree or in some awful lie. Whereas, you know, the penalty, the difference, the penalty is much more severe, the worse off your shot is, right? So there's a value assessed to that stroke, to that miss with your tee shot. And that value is more negative, more penalizing, more penile than if you're two feet away, right? So let's say your shot that's 40 yards to the left has a value of negative 0.35, and your shot just off the fairway, if you hit it far enough, might actually have a positive strokes gain number because you're putting yourself in a position where you're more likely to make birdies. So it's one of the great things. It's where a traditional statistic like fairways hit week in, week out on the PGA Tour, like, I, they always call it driving accuracy in terms of, and, and it's always defined as, did you hit the fairway or did you not hit the fairway? I think that's a misnomer. I don't think it should be called driving accuracy if you hit the fairway or don't. You can call it fairways hit percentage, but it's not necessarily driving accuracy percentage because that player might be trying to cut that corner and doesn't mind the fact that he's a little bit off the fairway in the rough. And, you know, he hit his target. You know, he hit it where he wanted to because, you know, he's been able to ascertain that he gains more strokes despite being in the rough from that angle being, you know, at the point where his tee shot lands, if that meandering run on sentence made any sense, I don't know where it started, but (laughs) well, I just, I just don't know if it, you know, is it a a potential flaw in it basically is that it, it can't really know if, you know, maybe 20 yards offline is better than being five yards offline on certain holes, but the stats don't know that. Right. Right, right, right. So that's one of the things I said, it's not perfect and it's, it's not, it's going to get better over time. Um, I think that, you know, one of the points where you could be behind a tree and it doesn't necessarily have the correct evaluation for, you know, the worth of your tee shot and the the difference in, you know, being behind a tree or being four feet to the right from strokes gained, it might actually be the same number or very close, but the reality is a little bit different. Strokes gain relies on the theory that over the course of a round of a tournament of a season, all those different factors kind of even out. And I think the best way to articulate that is um, with the first generation of strokes gain putting numbers, you know, they'll give you a dis- they'll give you a value for a 12-foot putt, right? But obviously not all 12-foot putts are equal. Some are downhill right to left and some are dead straight uphill. Which one would you rather have, right? So a putt made from that distance, while in and of itself might give yourself give the same value over the course of an entire season tournament, whatever career, it relies on the theory that those things are going to average out. And that's something that I think that what's really promising about this next generation of shot gathering technology is that like, I want to know who's the best downhill putter on the PGA tour, right? I want to know who's given themselves the highest percentage of uphill putt uh, birdie attempts over the course of a tournament. Like that's the next itineration of these statistics. That's going to tell even better stories and give you even more of an opportunity to tell, you know, the true statistical, you know, you know, what actually happened. Like it's just the next evolution in those numbers, I think, is really exciting. Gosh, us nerds are gonna be I'm excited for it just already. Giddy. Oh, oh it's yeah. funny getting into it with Brandon. <laughs> I got into it with Brandon a little bit this past weekend because he said something I just wasn't a big fan of that, you know, Hideki wasn't hitting it well, and it was in relation to, you know, fairways hit and greens hit, which to be fair, like that's kind of all we have off the street here to, to go off of on master stats. And and everyone's gotten in the comments saying, oh, nerd fight, nerd fight. It's like, yeah, man, <laughs> of course we're nerds. Are you kidding me? Are you not following along? Are you not seeing this? But 
I, I promised, uh, I, I lured you into chat here to talk about Masters, and we haven't really got there yet. But getting that background out of the way, I think, is helpful. Deeks23 asked, statistically, who should have won the Masters? And I know a lot of people are screaming at their, at their speakers right now, like, should Hideki won? It doesn't matter what should. But, you know, should Hideki have won, in your opinion? Yes. Okay. Yes. He was the best overall in terms of balanced performance. Um, he was top five in strokes gain approach. He had outstanding touch around the greens. Old school, he was second in scrambling. New school, he was fourth in strokes gained around the greens. He putted really well by his standards. You know, not, well, I know we're probably going to talk about this a little bit later. Um, he's not the best putter in the world, as we know, uh, but he was top 20 in strokes gained putting. I thought, yes, he should have won. I think you could have made an argument for certain players if they had done certain things better. Um, Corey Connors was outstanding tee to green. Didn't putt particularly well. That kind of fits his player profile over the last few seasons. And Jordan Spieth was awesome tee to green and was abysmal putting by his standards at Augusta National. So I know that breaks – that breaks. <sighs> look, I'm as big a Jordan fan this side of you and Kyle Porter that exists. So I know that that hurts to hear, but I'm, I'm sure we'll get into that here in a bit. A quick break here to check in with our friends at Original Penguin. You can go to OriginalPenguin.com, use promo code NLU20 to get 20% off whatever your clothing desires may be. We have some great content coming out with them. We actually crashed one of their photo shoots with Cam Smith, filmed a wild world of golf. You can expect to see that uh, sometime in the coming month. Ran into some of those guys there, and they, you know, they told me, like, hey, anytime you need anything off the website, let me know. Bad thing to have done, because every time I click on this website, they've refreshed it with some new arrivals, something else I need. I'm realizing I need some swim trunks. I need a lot more shorts. They make great, great golf shorts. They're called the Slim Fit Stretch Short. Uh, I have them in almost every color that they have, and I wear them in pretty much every video that you see. I'm wearing Original Penguin shorts. They've got button-downs, polos, hoodies. It's some of the best hoodies. The lightweight hoodies are fantastic. They've got these fleece jackets. They got business suits. They got anything you could possibly want. I love the colors, love the designs. My wife loves it not only on me, but she loves to shop at OriginalPenguin.com as well. So again, OriginalPenguin.com. Always remember to be an original. Use promo code NLU20 at checkout. Let's get back to Justin Ray. So on the Hideki front, I guess, how do you, how would you compare his strokes gain profile to other Masters winners in, in recent years or in history? Does it does it look pretty similar? Is that is that is you know what Hideki did? Is that like, hey, here's the blueprint. Do this and you're going to win. Yeah, I mentioned the strokes gain approach number. He was ranked fourth in the field. Five of the last seven Masters winners now have ranked in the top five that week in strokes gain approach. Uh, Spieth led in 15. Willett led in 16. Uh, Tiger led when he won. DJ did everything well, which is how you shoot 20 under at Augusta National, and Hideki was fourth. So the two exceptions in that mix, Patrick Reed um, actually lost strokes on approach for the week, which is amazing. But yeah, exactly. He barely, I think it was like negative .02 per round, but he was below average on strokes gain approach, but he was so insane with his chipping and putting numbers. Like his strokes gain short game was just chipping and putting combined was like five shots better than anybody. I don't have it right in front of me, but it was a unbelievable number. And then Sergio wasn't bad. He was like 15th in strokes gained approach, but he was far and away the best driver that week. And he had an awesome putting week. So um, yeah, to answer your, your profile question, it does kind of fit it. It fits it in terms of really strong approach play. Um, he didn't make, he was uh, tied for the field lead and bogey avoidance. Um, and however you get to that point, whether it's, you know, putting your ass off like Patrick Reed did or having a really good short game like Hideki did, um, like Danny Willett had really good around the green numbers when he won too. Um, you know, where, however you get to that point to limit those mistakes, um, you know, that's, he fit that profile. He fit it really well. How much of an outlier was this week for Hideki's putting? Because, you know, I've, I've been very, very, very hard on his putting and it really it comes from a place of love and that, man, I don't know how you do this. Like you hit the ball so freaking good. How have you not either changed anything about your putting and, you know, how do you, you know, how, how do you, consistently be one of the best ball strikers in the world and not really have your major moment or, or your major run like this. So was this way, you know, out of, out of line with what we're used to seeing? Have I been too hard on him? You have not been too hard on him. I'll give you the one, the best stat to explain this. He gained 0.68 strokes gain putting per round of the masters. The only other time he's gained that much per round all season on the PGA tour over 72 holes was in Houston when he finished second. So basically, when he puts this well over the course of this over the course of the week this season, he's finished first and second. Um, over the last six years, he's gained that many per round over the course of a tournament fourteen times. 
I think it's like 11 top 20 finishes and like nine or 10 top 10. So when he putts like that, he's almost always a factor on Sunday because we know how well he strikes the ball. <laughs> you mentioned how hard you are usually on him. The last two seasons, he's in the bottom 15% on the PGA Tour in strokes game putting per round. He's never been in the top 70 after any season in strokes gain putting. I think that would warrant some criticism, especially when you contrast it with his unbelievable approach play numbers. He's one of the best players, T to green, and he his best putting season on the PGA Tour was when he got to number two in the world, probably not coincidentally, because his iron play is there year in, year out. The, the putter obviously is not. Well, that's what's wild about him not having won, and I believe your tweet said uh, 1,344 days is that like the it, it's not like there's I mean I think a little dip in ball striking in that time period but nothing even noteworthy really and it's just that's it just people haven't got had a chance to really appreciate the ball striking just because you know the putting really has been that bad I just it, it, it has blown my mind for quite some time and it's maybe I, a huge part of the reason why he snuck under the radar but I saw a stat floating around this week and I sorry I don't have it in front of me I've cited this on the on the, our recap pod too but his differential in uh you know from his normal strokes gain putting but you know his strokes gain putting on bent grass was like the biggest of anyone like he improves the most over his normal putting on bent grass and I was like well I never even thought about breaking it down to that level is that something you look at ever uh sometimes yeah I wrote an article for pgatour.com earlier this year when they're on the west coast swing about the best putters and overperformers on poa I heard that on your recap pod that's the first I had actually heard that about Hideki being exceptional on bent grass um you know, compared to uh, normal, but you know, the, cause I, you know, with the POA putters, you always hear conversation like, Oh, Brant Snedeker, that pop stroke on POA putting. And it kind of grew from there where I wanted to see, okay, who are some of the better putters on that type of surface? And, you know, it, it's a difficult question to answer because I'm always trying to be statistically, you know, accuracy is the most paramount thing to me. And it's not that cut and dry in terms of type of grass, you know, like grass, there's pieces of it and different kinds and different greens everywhere. So it's kind of like saying this guy has a great batting average against a slider. Well, definition of a slider is different depending on every pitcher, right? So um, so it's kind of like, you know, I, I want to be as accurate as possible. But um, I did like that that note about Hideki. I'd love to dive into that a little bit more whenever I get the chance. But um, I want to give one other anecdote about Hideki and his putting. So last season he was 170th in strokes game putting overall, but he ranked 54th in birdie conversion rate. And that's an interesting differential to me because it tells me he's basically giving himself more close opportunities for birdie from two, three, four, five feet because of how great his iron play is. And that increases that birdie conversion rate number. But overall, the value of those putts, and this speaks to the value of strokes gained, it's not as big as if you made a 15-foot putt for birdie, right? Regardless of, you know, you get the circle on the scorecard regardless. But I thought that was really interesting and that you've got that big differential and it kind of speaks to the fact that he's able to put tons of approach shots really close, and that's an exciting part of his game, but it doesn't necessarily equal to a great putter over the course of an entire huh. season. I would have never thought to, to look at that differential, but that's that's insane. I don't even thought of that. You had a great note. Uh, it was a, Hideki was the seventh low am to go on to win the Masters, joining Kerry Middlecoff, Jack Nicklaus, Ben Crenshaw, Phil Mickelson, Tiger Woods, and Sergio Garcia. I just thought that was really cool. What non-stat? I mean, what what was what? Just let's talk about Hideki in general and kind of what 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 was your what were you feeling? I guess you know you've watched a lot of golf, you've seen a lot of golf, you've worked this industry forever. What was what was the lasting impression you had from the 2021 Masters? I mean, the image of his caddy yeah. um, bowing to the golf course was just this personification of respect and gratitude that I wish all of us had more in just all facets of life not even talking about golf, just it was just so understated and perfect, and it married itself so brilliantly to Hideki's reaction coming off the green where you could just kind of see, sometimes you don't need words, right? You don't need a big flashy reaction. We love it from time to time, but you could see it in his face, like the weight of it just kind of falling on him, what he had just accomplished. And I just thought that that momentary expression that Hideki had walking off the green where it just kind of all, you could just see it wash over him. This guy who's so stoic all the time and we never get let in into, you know, a lot of to know about who he is and, you know, whether that's a product of the language barrier or being a reserved guy, um, just naturally part of his personality to see that kind of moment wash over him where this incredible achievement kind of was realized. That was my lasting impression. 
that and Billy Horschel falling on his ass. <laughs> that was probably no. I'm just kidding. But no, the the Billy the 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 moment with Hideki was was just it was just so cool, man. And I I love that caddy reaction because it was so unique and just something I I had never seen before. I hope it doesn't get ruined. I hope not every caddy tries to do that now. Um, you no, know, please it, don't ruin it. It's funny. Uh, I guess I've tried to read as much as I can over the last couple of days, and I think it was from Sean Martin's article. I really want to know a lot more about what home is like for for Hideki, and the, the line that he had in there was, it just kind of made my, not, I'm not sure if my jaw dropped, but pretty close of like, when he and Hideki and Webb Simpson went to dinner um, during the Zozo, they had to shut a restaurant down for the two of them to go in. Like, that's what it's <laughs> yeah. like. That's the fame level that Hideki has back there. And I was like, whoa, that is, that's reserved for, like, our biggest movie stars. Tiger doesn't have restaurants shut down to eat in them. I, he gets private rooms in them. He doesn't get them shut down. Like, that is just, I don't know, that just really, really, really stuck with me. Um, that's That's wild. I mean, that's such a crazy anecdote about his fame because, you know, he has a house in Orlando, too, and I guarantee you, like, Dude walks around at Whole Foods and no one even bothers him. I'm sure, you know? yeah. <laughs> like you just try to contrast those two places. And if I was him, I'd I'd stay in Orlando too. Like I wouldn't want to be part of that fishbowl all the time. But it speaks to that level of fame and how much they love golf in Japan. I know that that's probably a line, the most repeated line in the world of sports over the last 24 hours. Is, oh, how popular golf is in Japan, right? But I mean, there's got to be some reality to it, you know, and that that's a perfect way to explain that anecdotally. Well, what's kind of crazy is that Hideki kind of shot the round that we needed him to shoot if somebody else was going to win, right? To make it interesting, yeah. 73, you, you tweeted, Jack Nicholas, Craig Stadler, Trevor Emmelman, and Hideki are the, uh, since the only ch- Masters champion since 1970 uh, that shot over par in the final round. I just, I don't think I have a question related to that other than that it was an interesting anecdote and in that, Speaks to how he only, you know, only uh, one by one. And then, yeah, of course, I'm looking at who finished in third and thinking about the triple bogey on the ninth hole on uh, earlier in the week and getting a little frustrated by that. But the guy that finished one shot behind him, Will Zalatoris, he has been a, the stats nerd, stat nerds have loved this guy for quite some time. He's, you know, I'm, I'm a big Myself guy. included. Yes. <laughs> I'm a big data golf guy. They've, you know, proclaimed him as the 30th best player in the world back when he was ranked in the 500s or something like that. I mean, it's, it's, it's no, it's no joke. What, what can you tell me about Will Zalatoris that, you know, we didn't learn over the, over the course of this weekend? Guy is not necessarily known as a great putter. You know, statistically he's been pretty, He's been average as a putter, you know, which is good enough when you're an unbelievable ball striker like he is. Um, outstanding putting week at the Masters. He was fifth in strokes gained putting. Actually, the facet of his game that he gained the most strokes with over the course of the week, 1.4 per round, which would not be expected. If you're going to tell me, you know, Will Zalatoris would contend to the Masters, I wouldn't have thought going into the week it's too far-fetched, you know, guy who's been really consistent. Probably my favorite stat that I keep trotting out and Will keeps refreshing it by playing well is that since the beginning of 2020, Zalatoris is tied for the most top 10 finishes around the world of anybody. He has 16 and John Rahm is tied with him with 16. Now wills are different because a lot of them came on the corn Ferry tour last year, but it's just a way to explain how consistent and how rapid this guy's ascent has been. He was also really good off the tee. He was fourth in strokes gained off the tee at Augusta. He lost a quarter of a stroke per round around the green. So um, if that was the one drawback to his performance over the course of the week, if you could find any, that would be it. Um, just statistically so impressive for a guy who never played the Masters before. So, and that doesn't, yeah. How, what what do you have on you know first time Masters goers? Is there is you know Data Golf had a great article about how you know over the course of time your eighth or ninth year is probably your peak playing the Masters, right? First timers just don't show up and play like he did. What kind of comps do you have for his performance, and, and what do you typically see out of first timers at Augusta? I was going to say, unless your name's Jordan Spieth, it doesn't really happen, right? I mean, you know, what Spieth did coming out so young, I know Zal Torres is a little bit older than Jordan is, but or was at that time, but I know it's probably the easiest comparison to make because it's recent and because the guy contended this week, but it makes you think about what Jordan did in 2014, where he you know came out of the gates and had the 54-hole co-lead and then had the lead going, I mean... It, who do you pick? You know, who had the more impressive performance, Jordan in 14 or Will, you know, last week? I think it's a it's a reasonable debate to have. And that's not something I would have expected to have about a first timer, you know, anytime soon. You know, it's just was so such an impressive week by Will. 
Uh, best finish by a guy making his debut since Dan Pohl in 1982. I always love when the answers to those questions is somebody that you never would have thought of in a thousand years. You know, it's always fun to pull one of those out. But. The solo second. That's where you get off the hook with speed yes, finishing. Yes. He's T2 in 2014. <laughs> hey, which one pays more, man? That's you know, hey, very you, true. You, you know what? You break up the T2. Weird time for me to have this take. I think uh, if you finish second in a PJ Tour event or any kind of event and, and you lose in a playoff... You should get paid more than a second that did not include a playoff. Nobody beat you okay. over seventy-two holes. Like you were, you know. Where does that money come from, though? Does it come from the guy in third? We'll work or? on that. Listen, they could set okay. up a separate, <laughs> a separate fund for that, or you know, I, I don't know exactly where that's going to come from, but I, I'm onto something there. I didn't give you any prep time for that question, <laughs> so I apologize. I got plenty of questions on here. I gave you no prep time for so. Um, <laughs> Only thing I think it it does go, you know, we talked about this last night too with Zal Torres is he is 24 years old. Uh, Jordan Spieth was 20 when he, you know, when Spieth was 24, he had won three majors at that point. So not, it's of course very impressive, but he's not, you know, he's around the age of Colin Morikawa, right? Or I think Morikawa was 24. Um, and so it, it is. You didn't, only- hey, you didn't, you didn't change any between 20 and 24, did you? I know no, I did. I was Jeez, even, yeah, you know? the exact same. But- I was so mature when I was 20. <laughs> It's just worth noting, as we're getting super excited about him, I've seen some kind of crazy prognostications for him, and obviously we're quite big fans of his game, but uh, I wouldn't say he's a a child prodigy, if you will. He's a a little bit of a, I don't know know if it's safe to call him a late bloomer, just worth noting, but. Yeah, he's more, he's more rookie than, you know, prodigy, right? Like, it's just because it was his first time around Augusta National. This is a guy who was one of the best college players in the world the last few years, and is you know tearing up the professional ranks everywhere he plays. So um, yeah, it is it's refreshing not exactly though, an out of nowhere thing to see a guy that's not coming out of college that's not just 130 mile an hour swing speed on every shot. You know, it's it's yeah. There's some artistry to it. There's you know it's 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 more shot making than it is you know just pure brute force, which I'm not positive he's capable of in that frame, anyways. But uh, I'm a little I'm a little somber about the fact that Will is now gone pop. It's like the yeah, the rapper he's, he's or the cool band. Yeah, it's like the rapper of the band that you know that not everyone else knows. And then they it's like before Kendrick Lamar put out his first big album, and like, you know, then he blows and everyone knows who he is. And you're like, man, that was my guy for like two years, and I was the only one. But oh, you're a that's Zalatoris kind of what Zalatoris fan. Is. Yeah. Name one of his name yeah. his first collegiate win. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's the old name that name Where'd he finish in the Western? <laughs> yeah. Name a song off the first album. That's that one. I don't know right. the answer to those. I'm I'm a I'm a I'm either. a second class Zalatoris Zalatoris fan. Well, all right. So it's time. Make me hurt. Uh, you already did a little bit. Uh, tell me about Jordan oh, Spieth this week. I knew I knew it was bad. Uh, I I def, I watched every one of his shots this week that I could. I'm used to watching him pour in eight to twelve foot putts at Augusta like it's nothing. The speed just did not look right. And I what you're about to tell me is that the numbers match that. I have a feeling. Yeah, uh, I'll give you some. Some good news and then some bad. So the good news, it was not his best ball striking week ever at Augusta. Hmm. Is that 2016? No, I was going to say the bad is that it was, this was his best since he won in 2015. Gotcha. um, His strokes gained long game. So that's my, I don't like the title of it, but it's the way I combine off the tee and approach. So basically strokes gained tee to green, but you take away the chipping. It's it's the, yeah, the ball striking aspect of it. He gained 1.94 strokes per round. Fifth best in the field, his best in the, over the week of the course of the Masters since 2015. I think I texted you this or I tweeted it, put it in an article, but to just sum up the way he putted from 2015 through 2020, Jordan ranked fifth in strokes gained putting. Last week, he was 51st out of the 54 guys to make the cut. So I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it, it's listen, it, it's going to happen. You're not going to putt great on this, on this golf course forever. It looked like. It just didn't look like the green, he was comfortable on the greens as kind of baked out as they were and crispy as they were. It just was not the same. I mean, he used to pour those things in the dead center. I mean, um, so I think I've gotten my my Spieth, you know, frustration out of there. But can, can you help me paint the picture for what Augusta does to Spieth? I mean, I guess for a better term, you know, what is Spieth, what he does at Augusta? Over his career, the numbers have to be totally insane, right? In terms of how much better he gets at that golf course. Yeah, no, they're insane. He's the he has the best scoring average in the history of the Masters with anyone among anyone with twenty five or more rounds. I made a strokes gain total database for the Masters a few years ago, and Jordan is second 
in the history of the Masters in strokes gained total per round, right behind Ben Hogan and ahead of Tiger. Um, that's what? through last week. Yeah, he's one Hogan, two Spieth, three Tiger Woods in terms of strokes gained total per round. Before the 2019 Masters, he was far and away number one all time. So that gives you some perspective on the beginning of his career there. Before last week, he had really done everything well at Augusta National in his career. He had averaged more than a stroke gain per round tee to green, had averaged more than a stroke gain per round putting since 2015, as long as that's as far back as the stats go. You know, there's got to be some validity. I can't really greatly statistically quantify it, but what he gained talking to, you know, Ben Crenshaw and and learning from him some things about the greens at Augusta. I don't know, man. They're, they're, he's one of the most incredible course horses right now at one particular venue. Usually it's like Charlie Hoffman at San Antonio or Kevin Streelman at Pebble Beach, you know, and it's these one-offs. It's just that his is Augusta National, and he's going to go back there for the next 30, 40 years and compete. Uh, I mean, what better place to be unbelievable at a particular golf course? I mean, he's just done – he's like the best version of himself statistically every year he gets to Augusta. All those – those weeks when everything comes together for Jordan, he's contending and can win, whether it was the Open a few years ago or maybe a week like the Travelers Championship in 20, was it 2017 when he won. And he did, it, it's just the best version of himself and everything he does, if that makes sense. And that's kind of what reveals itself when he gets to Augusta. Yeah, and that's just what makes it even that much more frustrating that he only has one green jacket. Like all that. Danny I would be. Was, I, <laughs> I would just be so encouraged though if you're a fan yeah, of his. Just what he's done the last several months. Oh, like for the, sure. The iron, the iron play numbers are just skyrocketed over what they were last year. And I mean, I really think like this is so exciting that you know the last couple of years, like the Grand Slam was theoretically in play for Jordan. It's really in play now for the next month because he's really hit his stride from a ball striking perspective. And I think you have to put him among the favorites at Kiowa. Well, that's Daniel Ruckert was asking statistically what golfer sets up well for Kiowa. And I don't know if you've gotten that far ahead, but does Kiowa, I I, I want to say it sets up for I'd him, li- but I'm the, I'm the last person to ask on this. I First of all, I'd like, you know, a, a nap and a beer or something before I get to the next major championship. But no, I think that, look, we got to go off of, you know, the Ryder Cup years and years ago. And then what Rory did was, was just eviscerate the field on Sunday at Kiowa a few years back, winning by eight shots, uh, an accomplishment that doesn't get talked about a whole lot um, over the last decade or so in professional golf. But I, I got to look into it a little bit more. I've heard a lot of talk about John Rahm, but I think that's very easy because John Rahm, his his course fit is a lot like Tiger and that it's just planet Earth is his course fit. So he's because he's really good at everything, but I don't think distance is going to be hyper important. It, it's obviously a benefit everywhere, but I, I don't see why as well as Jordan Spieth is hit the golf ball, especially the way he drove it last week at Augusta, um, as good as he's hit his irons over the last couple months, I don't see why he shouldn't be somebody that you know you think highly of going into the next major. Hmm. Well, I like the I like where you're going with that. Uh, <laughs> Xander, what, a couple questions on this. Car for the course asks, how rare is it for players to find the water on 16 on Sunday? This is a late one we're throwing at you, but is, is that as rare as it feels? It doesn't happen very often. 2013, Jason Day had a one-shot lead. Going into 16, I can't remember if he hit it in the water or not, but he made bo- he went bogey, bogey, lost the lead, and ultimately, um, you know, didn't get in uh, to the playoff that Adam Scott ultimately won. 2001, this doesn't get talked about enough, I don't think. Duvall and Mickelson both made bogey at 16 in the final round when Tiger won. You know, the last guy to hit it in the water there and win, I think, was Trevor Immelman in 2008. He made double bogey there, but he was up by like six shots at the time, so. It didn't really matter. Uh, Greg Norman is probably the one that I think of most, but he was two back of Fallow when he got there, and that was kind of the the last nail in the coffin for Norman that day. Um, it doesn't happen very often, though. It's it was pretty staggering because you know I, oftentimes, and you know fans of of your podcast will know that there's been some disdain in the past for that pin at 16, um, called a bit of a funnel from time to time. I think it's, I think it's exciting. I think it's great, but. And that, that's what that hole is more known for on Sunday, right? And not blow-ups is, is players sticking it close. And, you know, like Tiger did a couple years ago in the final round or, you know, the, there's a lot of other instances where that happened. You just don't see the blow-up very often. So you're right to think that off the top, hey, I don't think we've seen that very often. And we haven't historically. Yeah. No. What do you, but what do you make of major, uh, Xander's major championship record? Uh, he's kind of a major championship killer without really actually finalizing the kill. I mean, what, what sticks out to you? Am I right when I say – that when the golf gets harder, Xander Shoffley gets better. 
So I'll give you my favorite Xander Shoffley note ever. Um, came up with it last year at Wingfoot. Last year, he finished fifth at the U.S. Open. He's made four starts at the U.S. Open, has four top 10 finishes. Can you name the last player to finish in the top 10 in each of his first four U.S. Open starts? Oh, no, of course not. The answer is Bobby Jones. Whoa. Yeah, so that that... I, the notes that take me a really long time and then give me a payoff like that, <laughs> those are the ones I like most. But that's kind of the personification of his success so quickly in majors, right? Is that he's been so consistently good. Um, I think to your point, when the golf gets tough, he gets better. Anybody who's done this so often, there's got to be some truth to it. I do know the you know his coming out party in you know you know popular golf or major championship golf really was at Aaron Hills, and that wasn't necessarily the toughest golf course in the world, but you know, I just think the big moment, I mean, there's that, I think it's an overused euphemism to be a big game hunter, but I mean, maybe he's a little bit like Brooks Kepka that he gets more amped up for these major championships and um, just has a different level of focus. Um, one element about Xander's game that I thought is really interesting is that he's had a lot of success on courses that have uneven lies. Um, and I think that's may have helped him at Augusta National. Um, he's played terrific at Kapalua over the years, and that's probably the, you know, that's probably the only defense besides a win that that golf course has for people going crazy low. But um, there's some correlation there, I think, in terms of being good on uphill or side hill lies, whatever it might be. Patrick Reed, Justin Thomas are some examples of some guys who, you know, have performed well at both venues. So I think that's an interesting thing with uh, with Xander over the course of his young career so far. Yeah, I and mean, that's what I think about with speed too, right? I mean, he, he yeah. does Kapalua, plays well, and Augusta, of course. I just feel like it... You know, the guys that maybe aren't the most technical and the, the guys that are maybe a bit more creative that that thrive in that environment, I don't really have anything to support that. I'm, I get so nervous trying to make like a point in front of you that has all this data. I mean, they can just immediately, if you wanted to be mean, you could be like, no, that's not, hey, you're not even close with that one. But. No, fire at will, man. No, no worries. We go back a little ways at this point. <laughs> you got a stat there. You tweeted that most top five finishes in majors since 2017, Kepka seven, Xander six, DJ five. It just, yeah. I know that for so many people, it's only the wins that matter, right? And that it just that those kind of things become almost indictments of your, uh, your ability to, you know, to win. I, I don't know. It, I just think there's so much more. I'll to, give. Go ahead. I'll give you a career comp. At this point in Jason Day's career, we said the same thing a few years ago, where he repeatedly got close at the Masters, the U.S. Open. He had the same kind of five, six, seven top fives or whatever, whatever it was. Another guy who had the same kind of career trajectory, a trajectory, sorry, I've, I've been talking a lot the last two days, I'm running out of words, was Jim Furyk before he won his first major championship. So in the moment, it's easy to be critical of these guys. Oh, they haven't done it. They haven't broken through. But more often than not, with a guy who has this much success in majors this early in his career, he eventually will break through and win one. Hmm. Gosh, I just pulled up Jason Day's page. That makes a ton of sense. I mean... He is, yeah, he was T2 at the Masters and the U.S. Open in 2011, uh, solo third at the Masters in 13, T2 at the U.S. Open, another T4, another T9, another T4 in majors before he finally won in 2015. So I like that. Yeah, I built I built plenty of graphics for Sports Center that were Jason Day related that look a lot like the Xander Shoffley notes that are coming out today. Gotcha. So. That is really, <laughs> really good to know. Any Anything else, you know, noteworthy stats or nuggets you have for the week that stood out to you? Oh, Siwoo Kim. Oh, my Siwoo God. Siwoo Kim led the field in strokes gained approach. He and Corey Connors were the only two guys to gain two or more strokes per round on approach. He had eight and a half strokes gained approach through two rounds. Like, that doesn't, if you're not super familiar with that, that's a shitload of strokes gained, specifically with your approach shots. That's the technical term for it. He was phenomenal tee to green and just couldn't make a putt. And he honestly, statistically, he almost putted better after he broke his putter that round and was putting with his three woods. So it was it was a tough go for, for Siwoo on the greens. I like him a lot this week, though, at Arbortown to sneak in, sneak in for that. But I know you're going to sign off on this for me. I would love, I think a huge next step in strokes gain or make people understand it is kind of overlaying graphics onto greens. Like I, NBC has done this, you know, in recent weeks where they'll draw a big circle from, you know, on a par three. They did this in Austin for the 17th hole. A big circle around it showing average proximity of the hole from this yardage for a tour pro. And it showed the very, right? And big circle extended past the green and all that. Something with, with strokes gain that was like, hey, inside of this is gaining more than 0.5. And inside of this is gaining, 
you know, between 0.25 and 0.5, and, and you know, anything below this is losing strokes. Just kind of showing you can do that off the tee too, with you know distances in the fairway. That would help even somebody that's as into it as I am. Like that would help illustrate that so much. Is that something you think it would be possible on TV? Yeah, well, we actually um, we talked about different clients we work with. Um, we've helped out with the uh, CBS's presentation of the Aon Risk Reward this year, which I know a lot of golf fans week in week out they're like, oh, I don't know what this is. Like, you know, we, we've tried to add you know a little bit of a storytelling el- st- storytelling element to it, where okay, uh, a for every twenty yards you hit your tee shot on this hole over the last five years, it's been worth a quarter of a shot. I just made that up, but you know, whatever it might be. And in laying it out graphic wise, I think we've had some success in trying to tell those stories. So yeah, it's definitely possible. I think that that NBC example is a great one where um, I love that graphic. And I think that we can definitely benefit from more of that because the more we're able to normalize this type of storytelling, the easier it's going to be for people to consume. Uh, Amen. Yeah. I think it, Again, people are hopefully if you got this far into the pod, you're into this stroke skate stuff and you're into this nerding out session. But it, it, it is similar to, yeah, we talked about baseball some, but just OPS and that's worked its way into broadcasts. And, you know, people, even the most hardcore golf, uh, baseball fans now can understand what those numbers mean and, and whatnot. And I think that we're still a ways to go in golf and really fully understanding it. And that's that's on the, the TV presenters, I think, to really help tell that story. But um, only other it's one. It's come I have, a long way. It it's has. Come, it has. I, I just. I mean, I can just speak from my own personal experience a decade or so ago working in TV that it's come so far in this time span. So be patient. We're getting there. It just it it takes time to hammer away. I mean, you know, 20 years ago, the TV producer for, you know, a basketball game would have laughed at you if you wanted to do a heat chart for, you know, three pointers or whatever, like something that seems commonplace now. Um, It just it takes time. And we've made a ton of progress here over the last 10 years or so. I had Scotty Scheffler couldn't get off the tee was from some of the stats I was looking at. Did that did that uh, did that stat re- register for you? He he was middling strokes gained off the tee, okay. um, not as bad as you articulated in your note to me. Thirty seventh in driving accuracy. If you want to go old school, but um, not his best week. He's normally one of his strengths, and he did not drive it up to his usual lofty potential there. Well. I d- do you have any fun just go-to master stats? I'm sure you get them tweet you tweet them out pretty frequently. But if I was just to ask you, maybe it could be at a you know a random picnic, a neighbor comes up and asks you, "What do you do?" Oh, I do stats. Okay, what's your favorite master stat? What comes to mind? So my very favorite one. This popped its head up years ago, um, and you'll know when uh, when I get to the end of it. But 1963, Jack Nicklaus set the record for youngest Masters champion ever. 17 years later. 1980, Seve Ballesteros broke Jack's record, youngest Masters winners ever. 17 years later, 1997, Tiger Woods breaks Seve's record for youngest Masters winner ever. 17 years later, 2014, Jordan Speed almost broke Tiger's <laughs> record for youngest Masters winners. We won it the following year, obviously. But um, yeah, that's one of my favorites. It's just sometimes you stumble on some symmetry that's that's pretty crazy. For years, one of my favorite that no one would believe was that nobody had ever shot all four rounds in the 60s right. at the Masters. You just think it had to have happened at some point. Cam and Smith. then Cameron Smith, and he didn't even win. <laughs> and he didn't even win. So I feel like I'm Kirk, Tim Kirkjanish when I get into some of these numbers and get excited. But another one I love is that Gary Player has the most rounds in Masters history by exactly one more than Jack Nicklaus. I, I, Gary Player had to go into the Masters that year knowing that. Oh, he knew that, yeah. Finished with exactly one more. I was like, nope, I, I'm done. That's it. We we hit the mark. I got one more than Jack. So I thought that was great. What's the story on the odd number? There's got to be a withdrawal or... or uh, yeah, Jack Jack WD'd after the first round, I think, in the early 80s mm, at one point. Okay. Uh, with like a back injury. So it, it worked out to the fact where player could miss the cut one last time as a lifetime exemption and finished one round ahead, which I thought was terrific. Um, one of my favorite masters leaderboards ever is 1998 because Jack Nicholas, Nicholas finished sixth and tiger finished eighth. You took it out of my this- mouth. That's my favorite. The year after tiger <laughs> won by 12, 58 year old Jack Nicholas beat him the next year. How about that? That's unbelievable. And that's the kind of thing. Like if you look back historically, towards like the end of Hogan's career. He's got some top 10 finishes where he's right next to Nicholas and Palmer. And, you know, there's just the generations are able to tie themselves together. And we're fortunate to have that in our sport because it really doesn't really exist in any other sport that I can think of where, you know, you can have that kind of happen where a guy who Tiger's got Jack's records on his wall as a kid or, you know, whether or not you believe that story. And then 
1998, he actually finishes as the defending champion. Jack beats him after hosting his first champion center. I mean, just that's just awesome. Um, the new one that I thought was great from uh, this week that Jordan Spieth became the first player to ever birdie the tenth hole all four days. How could that have not happened in eighty something odd Masters? No one had ever made birdie there all four times, and then fitting the guy with the kind of Masters resume Spieth has is the one to do it. I thought that was really cool. Yep. What uh, do you have some fun? Uh, last time you were on, you gave us, I think I asked you, gave you some homework and gave you said, give me like 10 amazing tiger stats. Uh, and you did not disappoint. Do you have some fun, maybe prepared tiger stats for us for tonight? Oh, do I? Oh, you Come might've got now. that question in advance. <laughs> the, the, the tough right. journalist that I am. <laughs> so, well, I appreciate the help. Cause then I'd be scrambling and, and I might have this one off the top of my head though. Okay. Tiger Woods is the only player in Masters history, so for his career, to be triple digits under par. He's 107 under par in his career. Phil is second on that list, 30 shots behind. Jordan Spieth is third at 50 under. So I thought it was cool that the only guy who's triple digits under par. Now, obviously, that changes because older guys, yeah, yeah, they come back and play forever, so those numbers are a little bit uh, skewed. It's one of the reasons why Jordan's second all-time in strokes gained total um, at the Masters because he you know hasn't played the Masters in his 60s yet, but I thought that was pretty cool. Tiger won his, this is crazy, he won his third Masters at age 26. Nobody currently 26 or younger has three major wins. Hmm. Just to kind of wrap your brain around what Tiger did at such a young age. Hmm. Um, and then I te- the, the another one that's crazy is that the guy's never missed the cut as a pro at the Masters, 21 straight made cuts at the Masters. The record is 23 by Fred Couples. I did not know that. Um, so that's another mark wow. for Tiger here. I, in the coming uh, even yeah. Was, yeah, Fred Couples. Yeah, that 2015 year was so bad for him, but he came and finished like T18 or something like that, if I remember right. Yeah, correct. So 21 straight made cuts. Crazy for Tiger. And then this is my favorite, um, everyone's favorite player over the weekend. A lot of people were introduced to Will Zalatoris for the first time. Will, 24 years, 7 months, and 27 days old today as we record this on April 12th. At that exact age... Tiger had just won the third leg of the Tiger Slam. <laughs> oh, my. we could! I I guarantee you, if I asked you to do a hundred Tiger stats, we could do a pot on that sometime. I'm sure I should have said that out yeah, loud. I'm now sure people are going to people are going to demand it. Clamor <laughs> for it. I'll get I'll get links to your message board about it. Oh man, <laughs> well that 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 run because not only did he win four in a row, um, he won five out of six in that time per- period too, right? Yeah, because he won. 99 PGA and he won 2002 Masters as well. If I'm doing, yeah, maybe, yeah that's more than five out of six. That's uh, that's so he won six out of nine or something like that, and five out of six. It's just, oh, it, it, it. I always say too, we should start every conversation about golf with first we have to acknowledge Tiger Woods won the 2019 Masters because it still doesn't get talked about enough. Like that is still the most absurd thing that I think maybe will ever happen in golf history. So I, while you were talking, I pulled up my major champions. Excel file, one of my first babies I created, uh, data wise, and he went seven for eleven, ninety nine to 02. That's what I, that's what I was going for. God, seven. There's only like five guys in the history of the sport with seven majors. He went even seven for eleven. Oh, that's the most preposterous thing. And here we're like, talking I, about Xander. Like, well, six top fives in fifteen starts. Look how good that is. <laughs> yeah, this dude was batting six fifty in major win percentage over a stretch. Like, I mean. It's just it's a it's a different sport, and I really you mentioned 2019 being so absurd. I think it's going to take another generation for us to really take a step back and admire just what the guy did and really properly put it in perspective. Because you know the comparison people have always made to Tiger is Michael Jordan, but to me the more apt comparison is Wilt Chamberlain. And I'm not talking about off the course. I'm talking about you know with women or anything. I mean I mean like for real. Like if you look at what Wilt Chamberlain did in terms of how much better he was in points and rebounds than his peers. That's the kind of differential you're looking at with Tiger down the road is that, um, you know, it's something that is a complete outlier in the history of the sport. hundred percent. Any, uh, before we let you go, anything that's, uh, I meant to say we really, I had a joke prepared for the beginning and I, I left it out that we wanted to hear your perspective on the masters, knowing that you are due for a whole slew of perspective here, uh, in the coming weeks. Am I understanding that right? I actually had it in my head to tell the exact same joke. No, no lie. I was like, I'm, you know what, Sonali? I'm really most looking forward to all the perspectives I'm going to gain. 
<laughs> Very much so. Yeah, we we've been given an, an induction date because my son is apparently too huge and awesome to wait for the due date. So um, it's uh, and really well planned by me because it's a few days before the PGA Championship. So Love I did it. a great job. I did a great job planning that. But uh, the hey, big golfer you know, two Exactly. Yeah. No, he's on his way. So love it. Well, Justin, thanks so much for uh, spending an hour with us, helping us break down strokes gain and the masters and all the, uh, all the awesome stuff you do. So where can people find you if they don't, if they don't know, uh, at Justin Ray golf on Twitter, uh, I write almost every week for PGA tour.com. You can find me on the action network podcast. I co-host with Jason Sobel. Um, I wrote for the athletic. I will every major championship this year. I'm running out of outlets, Solly. I'm Anywhere running else? out of places to go. <laughs> yeah. Just, Google golf and you probably find me. No, I'm, I'm kidding, of course. But yeah, no, at Justin Ray Golf on Twitter uh, is where you'll always be able to find me. Appreciate the insight as always, man. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Expect anything.